0: I'm James Briarton, and welcome to an all-new live edition of the Carolina Weather Group for this June 16th, 2021. Taking a live look right now at Charleston, South Carolina, where things are a bit calmer than they have been in recent nights. If you've been with us online, whether on the Carolina Weather Net, our nonstop channel, or following us on Facebook or Twitter, you know that just in the past week alone, Charleston has experienced two more Of their now infamous flooding events, Saturday, an exceptional one that prompted the National Weather Service to issue the first flash flood warning for the metro area there since 2019. So tonight we are talking about the impacts of that flash flooding. And I know so many of you are already thinking, yeah, it always floods in Charleston when it rains. What's the big deal? Well, it was a little bit different on Saturday night. Take a look.
1: Yeah, so that looks like so that again, this is all around the market. This is around the historic Charleston City Market area. This is a common tourist place. The cruise, the cruise terminal is just down the street here. Literally, the cruise terminal opens up to Market Street. That is the market. That is the downtown market. That Can is Church back. Street. That is Church Street and South Market Street. And that is water inside the market. So inside the market, there's water in there. That's a van. Looks like he got stuck. That's water up to the that, that that is water up to the doors. That is water. Looks like that's water within some of the buildings within some of the buildings. Yeah, in the market. Yeah, a barricade Sandbags. to try to keep it out. Sandbags, very common thing down there. You can see people get, creating wake. That's on Meeting Street. That's on Meeting Street near Market. And again, you see people wading through knee deep. Um, we have a report. The Qology Barbecue Place on the north end of Market Street. That market in Concord is a foot of water inside. This
0: is bad, and I think this is also Qology. I want to say that this is also Qology. This looks like the same chairs that at the very beginning, the waters come up another foot. And it was an incredible night, one that featured uh, not only flooding in the streets, flooding of the market, flooding of businesses, but left people doing what has become all too typical down there. Take a look at these pictures. Sarah Williams tweeted these. From that downtown area, people carrying their dogs in the street in order to uh, make sure that they could go to the bathroom on whatever was the nearest green patch of land. You can get a sense for how deep some of this water was near President and Line Streets where she lives. These are from Saturday. And this photo really stuck out to me when I was looking at the Twitter account, measuring the depth of the water with your neighborhood stop sign. That was Saturday night, and then it happened all again on Tuesday night. More heavy rain, severe thunderstorm coming rolling through the area again, leaving streets looking like canals. Uh, joining us tonight to talk about the past week and life in historic downtown Charleston is Sarah Williams herself, who was gracious enough to share some of these pictures with us. And we thank her for that. And we'll also bring back in our pal, Jared Smith who runs, as you know, the CHSWX Twitter account and was live right here on the Carolina Weather Net on Saturday covering these storms. So let me start with you, Sarah. Thank you for joining us. Just bring our our viewers and our listeners up to speed on what it was that you and your neighbors have gone through now twice in the past week.
2: I think what really um, was probably the most harrowing on Saturday night is we've had a lull. (laughs) For some reason, I think we all just thought because of the pandemic, we've had no flooding. We have not had a situation like that since last September. And this came in. And, you know, when you live where it's happening all the time, you are always following people like yourselves just to make see exactly what is going to come down and boy that happened so so fast in a way that we've we've lived through so many times what made saturday night so difficult was um we got the double it just never it did not get a chance to drain we had more rain on sunday so what typically is a nasty you know four or five hour event really was an 18 hour event which is pretty unbearable and yeah, those are my dogs. You know, I have to carry them or they swim over to Harmon Field to do what they gotta do. And then we all have to bathe and shower and just get that disgusting water off of
0: us as fast as it is as well. it is gross. It is gross water, as Jared, you were telling us on Saturday night. Jared, let me ask you this question. What prompted the Weather Service on Saturday to issue that flash flood warning?
1: Well, it, it, to put it in four Gump terms, it started raining and then it didn't stop. Um, I, I think that is probably the simplest, uh, that is probably the simplest explanation. Uh, more to the point, it, we had just an unbelievable confluence of events happen right over the Charleston metro area. And it was, it was, it was, it, it was a, not looking good, you know, starting around three, four o'clock, but it's, but again, it's hard to say like, you know, so many times you say, man, flooding is going to happen and then, and then it doesn't, or it's not so bad. But in this particular case, we had, you know, I'm actually looking at my, uh, my analysis from about three o'clock that day. You know, we had several different, you know, we had thunderstorms up in the PD and in the, and in the Midlands, those thunderstorms are picking little outflow boundaries South. Those outflow boundaries are essentially little mini cold fronts. Um, those were moving South. It had, we had a little lake breeze there, but the, but the most important part was that the sea breeze was pinned to the coast. So because we had westerly winds. And with that pin sea breeze, what happened, that sea breeze usually pushes on a normal day, that sea breeze pushes inland, the sinking action behind that sea breeze usually spares downtown of a lot of heavy rain, typically in the summer, like you get much more rain 10 miles inland than you would in downtown Charleston. But with the westerlies in place, you had... The sea breeze get pinned to the coast and that acted as yet another trigger uh, for these thunderstorms to build up and and just keep raining on the same areas. The other problem was, is that steering steering aloft was very weak, you know, very, very, very slow storm motions. Everything was also moving parallel to the boundaries, which meant you had more storms firing up. On the boundaries behind it, so you had you had a, just a nasty confluence of events. You had and and you know you had you know what we call precipitable water values. It's essentially if you think of it, you take a column from the atmosphere and you wring it out. Um, precipitable water values of two to two point one inches. That's pretty substantial, and in fact, um, that week the 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 next day um, the the sounding at, at Charleston. At the Charleston National Weather Service office, the weather balloon they send up twice a day that morning set a new record for precipitable water um, for, with two two point twenty two inches. That was measured, and so, and so again, when you get all of those factors together. You have all these boundaries colliding right over the metro area, you have westerly winds blowing, you know, you have weak storm motions. You have the westerly winds being just enough to pin the sea breeze there. Um, and these storms keep backbuilding and backbuilding. You essentially are at the mercy of them, of, of them, you know, expending the available instability and raining themselves out.
0: Um, and and so. And, and Jared, and- let me just yeah. show people here. This is the radar right. estimated not what was measured by a bucket, but what was measured by radar on Saturday night, Mm -hmm. over six inches in some places in downtown. So Mm -hmm. this was a lot of rain. Well, you know, what was interesting too is that we actually got very lucky
1: is that the first downpour set up right in the Harbor. So that six inch bullseye was actually in the Harbor Mm -hmm. two miles to the Northwest. And we've got, and we, and, and, and it's a totally different story. Um, I remember it was like, I remember seeing that, that guy pop up and was like, okay, this is a little too close. And then, you know, and then and, and then whatever whatever capping inversion that we had was putting a lid on that convection, just the, the top blew off. And that's also what happened yesterday. And and at that point, we just the the atmosphere just did its thing and and again and you can see that just that like training action there and with the uh, with the radar there just kept coming and coming and and the thing about those radar estimates too is that when we compare that to the gauges it was actually pretty accurate we had um you know there there was a weather station um south abroad very near waterfront park uh that measured close to five inches of rain in about two and a half hours um the the dual pole rate, uh, rain rates from the radar that you know we can we can use radar algorithms to estimate how much rain is falling, you know, what the rates are per hour. We don't, it used to be that you had to infer that from the reflectivity, but now we have tools that can help us look into that even further. And those rates were seven to eight inches an hour. And that was resident over Charleston for, you know, an extended period of time. So when you get those kinds of rain rates, you get that kind of flooding. We were headed, we were several hours away from high tide, but you knew right out of the gate that um, that, with that kind of water coming down and that and that high tide eventually coming in, you don't need it to coincide. That water is going to have a lot of residence time. And then you started seeing the market, and then you started seeing things the the water begin to enter buildings.
0: And that's what influences the flash flood warning. Yeah. And and Jared, we have the benefit of of having you on our panel each week. We've we've talked Extensively about this issue in the past. Our last two shows, coincidentally, were about mm-hmm. forecasting of heavy rainfall events. It was about the issue of flash flooding in Charleston and how that came Mm -hmm. to be. You can find those episodes right now if you want to revisit them on our YouTube or wherever it is you may get um, podcasts. But in addition, Jared, to having the benefit of having you down there, the reason we wanted to ask Sarah on uh, this week, and I want to bring her in too, is because I want to get the perspective of somebody who who lives in this downtown area. So, Sarah, if you could bring us back to Saturday night, what is going through your head as the skies are now opening up and those flash flood warnings are going out What do you do?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting what you're saying, because if you the Charleston's very strange this way. I live on a block that always floods when we're going to flood. I have friends that live in other parts of the city, you know, who know about it from me. Saturday night, they were freaking out. Everybody was getting masses of rain. So for me, I'm thinking, oh, God, here goes one of our nights. And then I'm thinking about the dogs. You know, when will this end? I'm always projecting when will I have a clear path to get the dogs out? And that the biggest issue, as I said earlier, is this thing went on in terms of flooded streets into sunday afternoon that was a bigger issue in terms of livability for the people who live here the issue with it with the whole city getting hammered the way it did that was unique but what's interesting to me also it's not the most rain that i have seen in terms of living in this area that right now for me since i've been here was uh july of 2018 which was pretty horrific is more rain than what we had there. Again, I think it's what all the things that Jared just said, you know, but I still not completely sure why suddenly we have flash flood warnings here, because it, I always see the, you know, people driving into crowded, um, flooded streets and honking their horns and, you know, they're, they're stuck. I see, I've seen it over and over again. So from that perspective, it didn't seem that different to me. I think the only thing that stood out was the people who don't typically experience it. It was, it was universal for everybody it wasn't residents low-rent low districts <laughs> Right. There are areas of the city
0: that, that typically get hit hard or have a harder time dealing with this right. of infrastructure. It impacted universally uh, residents, students, business owners. But here are some more right. pictures that you shared on on Twitter. And this is this is scary stuff, right? This is people now having to be rescued. But the, and that was on
2: Sunday. That was on Sunday morning. Wow! So this this I think this is what one thing I know that, Jared, we were talking about. This is when I finally did get, you know, as one of my trips out out with one of my dogs to to there's a field right on an athletic field there and I watched them doing this and I asked them afterwards you know <laughs> why would you drive into that water and they had just come over from West Ashley and they didn't know where to go you know there's the the few streets that they actually barricade anymore and they, we used to have barricades where I am that those are all gone mostly because people with big trucks just drive right through them and just kill them but in this case people don't know where to go i mean the streets just are not closed you know not everybody is looking at whenever the pd is going to put up a list of streets so yeah this was pretty dramatic but again this is 12 hours in or or more
0: yeah and i think that's that's quite essential to anyone who may be asking themselves well charleston floods all the time what's the big deal and a it shouldn't happen in the first place but right. b This is the type of event that you guys all experienced this weekend. And uh, our Evan Fisher, who's also on our panel and a a student formerly of the College of Charleston, uh, Evan, you've shared previously with us on this show that you've had to trudge through water like this.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I'm I'm way too familiar with the treadling treading through uh, waist deep water. It's nasty sewage water um and then having to bathe and bleach afterwards. It's it's very unfortunate. And and we find ourselves now in the, the summer season, nearing the peak of tourist season as we head into the next few months. Uh, and, and that means we have a lot of folks, and I should say we, I'm not in Charleston anymore, but Charleston has a lot of folks on the peninsula from out of town. Uh, a lot of folks that probably do not get the weather alerts for Charleston. Uh, and, and they don't understand that when a flood warning is issued for charleston it's not like a flash flood warning for your rural county where you came from this you will be impacted by it if you step foot on the peninsula there's no way to get around when these these flooding events go down you just have to stop people
2: don't know that i mean all those pictures you just showed of people walking through the market or whatever they probably thought this was like wow this is wild they don't know that they got to run back to their hotel or something and just completely you know desanitize themselves
3: Absolutely. And with how long the flooding lasted. I mean, those are folks. I saw a photo. I don't know if we've had it going through tonight, but a photo of folks sitting up on some of these shops in the night market. Um, clearly, I would say from out of town with, without the experience. And at what point do you just draw the line and get out into the water? I mean, that, that's a horrible experience for a tourist coming from out of town, having to walk through that, ruin your shoes. If you get into really deep water, I mean, I, I've ruined way too many pairs of clothes in this this water, and there's just no way to get it clean. Um, it, it's it's very, very concerning stuff for out-of-town folks, and that, that that concerns me a good bit.
0: Yeah, that was, that was uh, captured uh, in the video we played off the top of the show, where... There were people sitting on tables in the night market. There was a bartender sitting on top of his bar because his feet were wading into water inside of his bar. And that's when you know that this has gone further than it even normally does. Um, Sarah, let me ask you as a resident of the area, how did you learn that there was a flash flood warning?
2: I think, you know, I probably from you guys because <laughs> well, by that stage, I'm, I get sort of maniacal about, you know, sitting on Twitter with the various weather things, just looking to see if somebody's going to throw me a forecast that this thing is going to come to an end. The other thing, you know, it's interesting again, listening to what you're saying, because for people who live in these neighborhoods, none of us are out driving our car. Our biggest concern is did we get our car out fast enough, you know, and out to across where that one street, you can go half a block down and you're fine. But where I am, you know, if, if we didn't get our car out fast enough, I'm on on, you know, texting back and forth with all my neighbors thinking, is it too late? You know, is it going to be 2018 again and all the cars on the block are going to be ruined? You know, it's, it's the people who are getting stuck and out there. It's not neighbors just deciding I'm going to go out and go have dinner. It's people again, who don't know what they're doing and they're coming in and they're just not warned.
0: Speaking of people going out and having dinner, we don't mean to necessarily call this poor person out, but to, uh, to Evan's point, this is some of the imagery that he may have been seeing or something similar to this, right? Sitting in ankle deep water, nonchalantly eating dinner. And it's, it's like, what, what world are we in that? That is what this has come to. Uh, Jared, we were seeing these coming in live uh, on Snapchat Saturday night. And I I know the first time we rolled the video, I think you were speechless and you're somebody who lives in the area.
1: Yeah, that was, uh, you know, you know, Charleston, you know, we're going to do things like that. Like a few years ago when we had a one, one time there was a flood that flooded the market. We had a guy kayak through it. So, Charleston is is interesting as far as how we go about reacting to these things, but uh, still somewhat stunning. I, that, that does not seem appetizing to me. Um, I can't speak for anybody in the video there, but it, it was, uh, you know, again, it, it's one of those things that it doesn't happen very often. And, and when it does – it still, I'm glad it still shocks me a little bit. I'm glad I'm still speechless a little bit, but I know that I'm going to get to a point where it's like, oh, it's a day that ends in Y. And but when you it, say
2: it doesn't happen very often, I'm curious to know. I mean, I think if something's happening, I, I sort of just average it out to once a quarter, even though sometimes yeah. it can be two times in a month, four times a year to go through this is Yeah, pretty often. I mean, I've wondered this week, what other cities are like this where this happens?
1: yeah i mean charleston is pretty unique in that aspect in that we have such extreme impacts very frequently um you see cities up and down the east coast um, you know on the coast of virginia you get some of this in miami gets a lot of sunny day flooding um you know they get sunny day flooding and then they get the freshwater flooding issues you know miami has been documenting some pretty large cases of that but charleston is unique um just uh, our vulnerability the way the city is built Um, you know, our vulnerability to seven foot tides. I mean, I mean, we don't, you need, you don't need much to start seeing stuff go underwater. The market goes underwater. When the tide hits about 7.3 feet, you start seeing not the building, but the streets. So what's, what's remarkable about this is that just the sustained rain rates that completely overwhelmed the drainage and got all this water inside the buildings in places that are normally pretty. Okay.
2: Right. So what I see, so this is, that's goes back to my earlier point that this was now everyone was experienced. It was a, you know, er, an equal opportunity. flood. I'll see what you're talking about when I talk about the the frequency, like last night, it can, it's about 10 minutes, you know, to go from, and I posted that last night where we went from that because that was wild stuff. We were watching the sunset with the hail and the wind and everything else and then, as soon as the sun goes, you know, within a matter of that, so the sunset was eight thirty. find these these pictures here were at nine o'clock. But that that had already been going on for a while. So it takes less than ten minutes to go for it to just completely flood.
1: Yeah. And the, and the part of town that you're in too, I mean, is, is
2: a notorious, I mean, you're, well, you're just, walking over from the you know, yep. and so is Lockwood, you know, there are certain yep. areas. And I, so back when we were talking about, how is Charleston managing this? And I been, said I had my aha moment because there was new houses put up recently on Line street. And that was, um, you know, it was just a dead lot or whatever. So That's the streets gotten worse. And somebody who lives on has lived on the street the whole life said to me, it's I noticed it's getting worse and worse. And then the last year and a half, it's just gotten completely worse. And it just dawned on me. It's because, you know, the empty lot, they built houses. So nothing's absorbing the water anymore. And when I was driving down Lockwood last night, I thought they're going to build on that corner that's always flooded, you know, dozens of those trillion dollar townhomes. Where will that water go? You know, it, if it's not going to be absorbed anymore, unless they're going to get some big, fabulous, you know, pipe system that we're all being promised up here, it where does it go? The ground can't absorb it anymore. So it just pushes more water into to the rest of the city that can't handle it. We've got Frank straight on the
0: screen. We'll go to him in a second for some commentary on on tides. But Jared, let me see if you can help Sarah answer at least what's being discussed, even if we don't in our capacity know the answer. I know the Post and Courier did some articles and you reviewed those before the show. Could you just summarize a little bit for us, Jared, on um, what the city is looking at and considering?
1: It it is amazing that it took this long. I'll start there. And that's where my editorializing will end. But... I think everybody, I think that's a pretty universal, um, I think that's a pretty universal sentiment. So what's happened is that the city has commissioned new land use maps. And basically these land use maps are a little bit different in that they take, they take advantage of some of the flooding data that we've, that we've you know, compiled over the years, elevation data, things like that. And then those land use maps then are kind of recommendations to say, you know, you should build densely here. So for example, uh, along the spine of the peninsula, which is usually pretty okay, King and Yuji being an exception, uh, but along the spine of the peninsula, you probably want to concentrate your, 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 your most dense building there because it can take it. The edges of the peninsula. When you start getting, you know, you start getting into the marsh, you get started getting into the landfill around the marsh a little bit. Um, and by landfill, I don't mean trash. I mean, just, you know, you're filling in, you know, you're literally filling in land. Um, that's when, that's when it starts to get a little sketchy and that's when you, that that's when, you know, you might want to consider, you know, building less. Um, and so, uh, the, the the thing with the land use maps is that they're recommendation. They're not they're not policy. They're not gospel. These recommendations are going to be uh, potentially going to be incorporated in the city's ten year plan. So the city is working on a new comprehensive ten year plan right now. Um, this covers all the things, but it will cover flooding very closely because it is, because, you know, as Sarah, as your neighbor has noticed, it has gotten a lot worse, a lot faster. Um, it is just, it escalated so much. And so the city is starting to look into that obviously much more closely. Um, again, we could have seen this coming about 10 years ago, but Hey, I mean, it's, it's getting, it, it might be getting done now from that 10 year plan. In a couple years, new zoning regulations may then come about. And the city is looking to incorporate this data, this elevation data, this flood prone data to say, okay, let's consider zoning this off to not build say too much around the edges of the peninsula let's not do something on lockwood anymore you know things like that let's move that into higher ground like such as you know along sam rittenberg and west ashley Uh, i'm in west ashley so so you know over here we we can take it a little bit better not to say that we don't have our problems um But, you know, trying to identify these things and then trying to get the, you know, and the other thing, too, is that you got to get the political buy in on this stuff. And and that's going to be very difficult. Charleston is a very hot market. There's no doubt about it. Um, And so. You know, there's going to be, you know, this is going to be kind of a protracted thing. But in the meantime, unfortunately, like, you know, we w- what's got to happen is that there's got to be, you know, continued investment and in things like, you know, those maybe maybe getting contractors to show up on Sunday would be a start Was something that was pointed out in the article is that the contractors for pumping out stormwater do not run on Sundays they're not open on Sundays. Perhaps and so when it rains on the weekends, never rains on the weekends. So, so yeah. when it and, flooded, and sat- people go to the ER or anything else, you know, at right. city
2: on weekends. Well,
1: well, yeah. And that's the other thing too. I think the thing that everybody needs to un- that keep in mind too, if you're not from Charleston, you might think that we're absolutely nuts for this, but in fact, our hospitals are built in one of the most flood prone places in the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if there's a, if there's a flash flood in downtown Charleston, and you're trying to route critical patients in. You're either driving that ambulance through a foot or sort of floodwater, which is a very bad idea, or you're having to route them to hospitals way out, way out in West Ashley. You know, and and that's not, you know, that's not trivial because traffic gets snarled. and so. There are, I I believe that the city is going to start reckoning with some of the planning decisions. And again, these are, these are planning decisions that were made well before any of us were around. I think that's the other thing too. Charleston is an old city. Uh, And, and so we have to deal with a lot more legacy than a lot of other places. So, trying to adapt that you have preservation people you have people who are very you know very adamant on preservation all that so it's going to be a very tough battle ahead to do anything administratively about this um which you know and it's not and
2: the answer is not just building or telling everyone raise your house or everything has to be 15 feet up because It was interesting this weekend, uh, one of the very bad areas in Wagner Terrace is Gordon and 10th, I think it is. And um, one there's there's an ongoing thread with everybody who's fed up and everyone at the storm water service. You know, we're all great people. Everyone's trying. But you learn all these things like, yeah, we've known for 10 years, you know, that the pipes there are not elevated right underneath and they don't go to Simmons Street where they should. And it's like, if you know all this, and even before then you're gonna allow people to build these houses, even where I am. I'm sure that, you know, when I read that, it's like, that's probably why this one street, because these there's probably pipes that are just pitched at the wrong level and it's not mm-hmm. draining. So before you you grant, you know, the, the decision to let 18, 20 houses be built, dig it up and fix that damn pipe. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, I mean, we're all waiting for them to turn on this great big pump station, which even now I don't even know anymore. It's right in front of me. But I really don't know what will that be like on Saturday night after that thing is turned on. You know, they told me they, they literally I, I sit there and I maintain the yard that has it underneath. And they said, you know, those rainstorms, it can't help a hurricane. It can't help a Hugo But the rainstorm, those situations you're saying that will will change dramatically. But will it? I don't even know anymore.
0: Sarah, before we let you go, let me ask you, and I don't know if you own or rent. So answer this however you'd like. But does this issue the flooding in your neighborhood impact your planning on whether or not you stay where you are long term?
2: hundred percent. And I also want to just make a point because this is really important. I have neighbors who who are school teachers. I have neighbors, you know, who literally have to take days off because they cannot get out of their house. And I talk to people across the street from me to do the exact same thing. I hear them at the bus stop, you know, complaining with their bosses. I cannot get to work. I can't do anything. You don't hear about that. You're going to hear about the people at the market, but you're not going to hear about people here who, who simply their lives are completely interrupted. And, and I am lucky because yes, I do work from home. I mean, there's times where I freak out before the pandemic when I would be commuting up to New York, can I get to the airport? But that's why I circle back to that big project they spent so much money on. When is that gonna happen? When are they gonna turn it on? And what would be different than what you see on the screen right there? Is that all gonna get just sucked up and miraculously go away?
0: It's gotta go somewhere I suppose, right?
2: <laughs> I hope.
0: Well, Sarah, I think you hit it right on the the nail right on the head there. And that's why we were so glad you shared these photos and videos with us and had time to come speak with us tonight because you're right. It's it's the market. It's some of the big picture things we see, but it's sometimes the people who are right in this that we don't always get to hear from and and what that means for their everyday lives. So we um, appreciate your time. Was there anything else uh, that we we didn't get a chance to talk about that maybe we talked about ahead of time or that you wanted to get in uh, regarding this issue uh, tonight before we, uh, we, we let you go on your way.
2: No, I think we've really covered everything. I really appreciate what you guys do. I follow it. And, you know, I think what's great is you bring in the community and that's super, super helpful. I think we could all use that kind of support right now.
0: I appreciate that very much. And your time as well, as we are talking, I'm thinking about previous conversations. Our listeners and our viewers may recall, you know, in Ori County, South Carolina, with what the community is facing there with river flooding. So uh, there's there's, you know, other examples of this, too, outside of just Charleston. But I think hearing from you tonight, Sarah, reminds us of uh, folks like myself who who hear about this on a broad level, but don't really know street level what the situation there is. Charleston, uh, I know I learned a, a good bit from you tonight. So I appreciate your time.
2: Thank you. Thank you for
4: having me.
0: Let's bring in uh, Frank Strait, uh, who I know had a a note about the the tides there in Charleston. You wanted to get in, Frank. Uh,
4: That's right. Uh, It's getting to the point uh, for the folks who live in and around Charleston that uh, you have to keep up with the tide situation uh, as much as the weather, because uh, really, any time you get both uh, heavy rain around the time of high tide, you're going to deal with flooding. In fact, you don't really Need uh, even rain uh, if you have uh, high astronomical tides you get sunny uh, clear sky flooding uh, in the Charleston area. So uh, it's it's not just a thing that uh, meteorologists and mariners need to keep up with uh, the folks uh, on land need to start keeping up with it too. And that was the uh, part of the issue back on Saturday night is that uh, the heavy rain started falling uh, in the evening as the tide was rising and uh, the high tide wasn't until around 10 PM. So uh, that resulted in the heavy rain that occurred and, and some pretty extreme rains actually uh, just didn't, it uh, just wasn't able to drain very effectively because you had the high tide uh, keeping the, the water from draining. And like I said, uh, this was one of those situations you had a, a relatively high astronomical tide going on then. You might have had uh, spotty minor flooding even without the heavy rain at all, or without any rain at all that evening. But uh, because you had the rain, you had some pretty serious flooding uh, on the, that on top of the high tide. And uh, the high tide was uh, one of the reasons why it was as bad as it was. Frank, you make a good
1: point, too, because a, a lot of times when we think about rain around the tide here, we're usually thinking, oh, no, it's high tide. And then we've got this. Then the sky is opening up. and We've got a ton of rain falling right on high tide. But our long term, the long term problem happens four hours before high tide, as we saw on Saturday night that's right. i mean that that's where the problem is and i think something that we can optimize for you know forecasting down here is to say that hey you know we're, we're going to have some pretty extreme rain rates this is going to flood stuff and by the way this is going to be here for a while um, and i'll give credit to the national weather service too they issued a flood advisory about 15 30 minutes before the rain started uh they could see it coming, uh, so they were able to issue a flood advisory, but again, you know how you know how widely are those distributed you know we we distribute them, we're aware of them um because of what we do, but you know the general public you know it, it's it's it, that's that's a that's a whole other can of worms, but um
5: yeah, I think Jared, something that
1: we could
5: yeah you know i I just was thinking about you know what's coming in the future from the weather service where mm-hmm. we're going to be doing away with these advisories. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder what the process will be like then. It's an interesting question,
1: and you know, and, and again, one thing that is uh, one of the reasons why, you know, for for example, one of the reasons why that Charleston doesn't issue as many flash flood warnings anymore, um, is you know it would set off people's phones they would they would hit a certain rain rate and it in the and it would fill up you do a flood advisory and then they pull the trigger on a flash flood warning but it blow up people's phones and it blow up people's phones for sometimes marginal situations as they turned out you know they went back and every weather service office goes back and examines their performance and they look at you know they look at the false false alarm rate and, and all those things and, and and what i presume happened again i'm not privy to the exact specifics of how this went down but well you know i mean I mean, hey, I mean, you know, that's just how it goes. But um, but what I imagine happened is that they reviewed how many times they were issuing flash flood warnings and how many times it caused the WIA, the wireless emergency alerts to go off. And they decided, okay, we're going to really strict make our criteria really strict here. So we only trip people's phones if it's
0: like a very serious, like life threatening emergency. What's and we should let people know. Yeah. Real fast on that point, because we talked about the consolidation, right? So they're doing away with certain flood products or consolidating certain advisories. They're simplifying it for anyone who's not familiar with that. And then the WIA, the alerts that come to your phone, no app required, used to do all flash flood warnings. And now it will only do ones that are. Extra specific, extra mm-hmm. exceptional—the catastrophic ones—to try to address exactly what yeah. Jared you're talking about, which is okay. the overwarning. Yeah, the
1: considerable tag is what's required to trigger the wireless emergency alert. Now, Charleston's criteria is such that they will not issue a flash flood warning that does not have a considerable tag. As, I, as I understand it, that that, that because that's that, because they had a considerable tag. On the flash flood warning the other night, yeah, and that's and when you and that, I
0: jumped and came to our microphones. Right.
1: Well, yeah, and keep in mind too that you know again that was that was the first time since 2019 that right. they had issued one, and so yeah, so th- it was it was certainly a situation where you had you know just a very unique and and unfortunate confluence of events and timing. Um, you know it's so often down here um you know we, we, we'll be looking at the setup and we'll see and, and we'll, we'll have the ingredients and everything there but much like any sort of severe weather everything's going to line up just right sometimes the rain sets up five miles south sometimes it sets up over the harbor as opposed to over downtown sometimes it sets up over the airport and downtown is relatively spared you know those little undulations in the sea breeze can make a a world of difference i i arguably say that, that that a cold pool surging out of orangeburg at around the time that this was going on actually probably saved the city from an even worse
0: fate because that cold pool helped shut this line a little further south And we're going to talk about Orangeburg coming up in a few minutes because they had their own run in this week with severe weather and microbursts. We're going to be actually talking about some of the damage across the Carolinas from severe thunderstorms coming up in just a few moments. Uh, Let's bring in Evan Fisher again, who uh, now lives closer to home in Asheville, but at one point went to school in College of Charleston, as we've talked about. I'm curious, Evan, have you ever spoken with anyone who maybe decided that school or that city wasn't for them because they didn't want to have to deal with
3: this? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, you know, I don't think that I have ever met anyone who decided against Charleston because of that, but there are a significant number of students who are shocked by it at the cause of Charleston when they show up. I mean, that, that unless you happen to go to an orientation or a college visit on the day of a flood, which is pretty unlikely. Uh, odds are you have no idea that you're coming to a school where there'll be several days a year. You won't be able to leave your house. You won't be able to make it to school. Uh, thankfully, now with the world of uh, e-learning, you can you can still attend class online. That has been a, a, a new thing this past year. Um, but there's teachers, there's, there's faculty, there's students that once they get to College of Charleston, they are shocked and there, there's folks who live off the peninsula for sure because they do not want to deal with the flooding issues downtown jared smith right there
0: (laughs) and and sarah when she was on earlier talked about neighbors who have had to call out of work because of this and Corey, watching on youtube said exactly that had to take a sick day as a teacher because i can't leave my house to get to school so if you're watching with us tonight live on Facebook or YouTube thank you so much feel free to join our conversation live by uh, leaving a comment and uh, we may be using it here uh, during our show I know we do want to get to some of the other severe weather impacts of the week guys but before I pivot away from Charleston since we are live let me ask you uh, in real time from this producer chair is there anything else we wanted to get in uh, about the, uh, the flash flooding and the, the flooding issue in Charleston
1: Well, I I would say that, you know, that it was we had this again last night and we had this again with other severe weather coming along with it. And and just the the pattern has been such that it has been uh, prone to this. And so, you know, again, it's one of those things where, you know, maybe wasn't at the magnitude that caused to trigger a flash flood warning, but it was still very disruptive, as Sarah showed us uh, in in her videos. And so, you know, I think I I think that, you know, we learned a lot this weekend. I know I certainly learned a lot. I learned a lot from every event. And 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 I did not know that the contractors didn't run on Sundays and for for pumps. So that will undoubtedly change Um, that that, that, because that's that, you know, that's somewhat outrageous. Uh, So that will undoubtedly change. But again, you know it, this is just an increasing fact of life and this is something that um you know we can you know a lot of people you know when you try to bring this up they bring up you know the you know they bring up climate change debate and then we we, we get into the weeds of well why is this happening well let's you know when it comes to flood resilience i think that we should you know obviously that's an important discussion but the more important discussion with flash flood resilience is it's happening so let's just start there what can we do to live with it and there is a lot of discussion going on in charleston right now about how the, what life looks like here
0: um you know just you know in if we accept it
5: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And, and that does bring me right back around. Again, I mentioned it earlier, but Ori County and, and Scotty, I know you've talked to April there in, in Ori County, whether it the, whether it's water that's falling from the sky or coming downstream or maybe coming on shore or in Charleston's instance, a little three. Um, Scotty, could you just summarize for folks who maybe aren't familiar with what Ori County has been experiencing, what we've talked to April there from Ori County Rising about?
5: Yeah, so uh, a little bit of both. What Frank was talking about earlier with the tides, we see a lot of flooding in uh, Cherry Grove, Garden City, uh, South Carolina. Um, but a lot of the major flooding that we see, especially just off the coast, and we'll say in Conway, Socastee, uh areas like that around 707, Highway 707, Highway 9, uh, is the flooding that takes place upstream up into the Lumberton area in southeastern North Carolina, and it all flows down uh, into the Oregon. County area and with so much development as Horry County is one of the most booming places for people to move right now. There's so much uh, um, land that is being cleared off and paved that all this water has nowhere to go. And so there's neighborhoods in Horry County that continuously, three, four, five times a year, get flooded out and it takes a while for that water to recede. So um, Horry County um, knows there's an issue there and it was with all local municipalities. It's always a, a debate on who's responsible for what. So uh, April and her team there, Horry County Rising, has, has brought together this whole group of people and they're really demanding change. And I believe uh, with the progress that they are making that they will start to see that soon in horry county but again um you know it doesn't have to rain in horry county it it could rain upstream and you get flooding from vehicle into lumberton and eventually that's going to flow into horry county and where it may be sunny the entire time they're still dealing with flooding And, and when i talk about flooding we're talking three four five six feet of water in homes and after that you know that that home is isn't livable anymore you've got to gut it out and restart over and so it's really causing lots of issues in Horry County and people unfortunately live in these homes uh they leave them and these people come in clean it up and then they put them right back on the market and they don't even advertise it's in a floodplain. so that's a whole other issue uh where people are buying these flooded out homes and then they're there three four months and they have a flood event they're like well why didn't anybody tell us well there's not really rules right now for them to tell them that so all kinds of issues going on and and hopefully uh april and her team will will get those um the ball rolling so that situation Hopefully it comes to an end
0: shortly. We had Michael Laundry on from FEMA earlier this year, and he was talking about their relief programs and in certain instances, instead of giving you money to rebuild your house, they're going to give you money to leave your house and go someplace else because you know, battling mother nature, battling Situations where, again, as, as you've seen on our show, we'll cover flooding, heavy rains in Charlotte or up in the foothills where Scotty is or in the mountains, and then we're covering it for days because we're watching all of this water try to balloon its way out of the watershed until it eventually gets to the coast. Which you
5: talk about, James, and we may mention it later on, there's a tropical system that, oh, uh, that, that could be brewing and eventually take a track through... Western North Carolina, where we could see, you know, from drought conditions to flooding again, as we know, those tropical systems that like to track the Appalachians, they always overproduce in the rainfall department. And then we could see that flooding go downstream, affect the areas in eastern north, southeastern North Carolina, down into Horry County. And Jared, I I think you guys, it may not be as bad for y'all, but y'all still get some of the effects of the flooding upstream as well.
1: Uh, Sure. And, you know, and and again, the upstream flooding, honestly, is something that a lot of our inland communities have to deal with more than anything else. Um, But, yeah, we're going to we're going to feel this moisture. I mean, we're going to we're going to get the the, the moisture is going to surge right back up here. Maybe not to the degree that it will uh, in your neck of the woods, but we'll certainly feel that. And we're going to see some increased uh, shower and thunderstorm chances coming back into our forecast around Sunday.
0: Well, let's talk. um, Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have another Uh, thought on that? I was just going to say.
5: I was just gonna say it's mid-June. We're normally not talking about situations like this until mid-August. I feel like it's a little, little early. But uh, if the 2020 hurricane season has told us anything, Ooh. it's to expect the unexpected. Yeah. Here we are. At least it doesn't look like to be a, a strong hurricane. Maybe a, just a, a weak tropical storm. But uh, as we say, wind is wind. Well, rain is rain, and a lot of rain will, will cause a lot of flooding.
0: So, well, that, sir, is what we call a segue. Uh, Wind is certainly wind. And we had some severe thunderstorms roll through the Carolinas this past week, causing damage from the winds produced by thunderstorms. You know, we tell you that when you see a severe thunderstorm warning, yeah, sure, they're a dime a dozen. But there's a reason that they have warnings, and it's because of damaging wind and damaging hail that we'll show you in just a moment, including this in Orangeburg counties. I think, is it Evan Fisher who's gonna tell us about this if I'm not mistaken? I got it, I got it. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead Scotty.
5: Yeah, so actually James, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about this. This is actually determined to be a macro burst. And we'll talk a little bit about the difference between micro and macro here in just a second. But this this occurred yesterday, uh, Tuesday, June the 15th, 2021. And this was uh, in the uh, Orangeburg area Uh, and Calhoun County area in South Carolina. Uh, This was a 60 to 80 mile per hour wind along with nickel to golf ball size hail that moved uh, throughout Calhoun County into Orangeburg County uh, Tuesday evening. Uh, The storm down numerous trees, power lines that actually hit the high school here or uh, that you are looking at, uh, the roof off of the high school, damaged parts of that, uh, Lake Marion High School, that is, and several uh, air conditioning units also receiving damage as well. Um, The storm uprooted uh, several trees around the school and damaged um, a lot of property around there. And the estimated winds uh, today from the storm survey was anywhere between 80 to 85 miles per hour, James. And these winds, they put it in the storm survey, uh, these winds are capable or comparable to an EF-1 tornado. You would look at that and you'd be like, hey, man, a tornado hit there. It looks like tornado damage. Yeah. Wind is wind. If it's blowing in a straight line, it's going to create just as much damage. So um, this uh, 80 to 85 mile per hour winds. Uh, thankfully, no one at the school during this time, so there was no
0: injuries. But just um, shows, goes to show you, these severe thunderstorm warnings definitely need to be taken serious. Well, we can actually see some of this wind in motion with a different microburst. Is this the one I'm going to Evan for? I think uh, I've got
5: both of them. <laughs> You've got Morehead City. All right, so yes. Scotty,
0: here's the video that Moorhead City put out. Different storm, same impact. What are we looking at here?
5: Yeah, so this is some hail. This is actually what they classified a microburst. And we'll talk about that just as soon as we get done talking about this uh, storm survey. We'll talk about the differences. Uh, But again, this was uh, in the... uh, Uh, Jones County area in North Carolina. This was surveyed by the National Weather Service there in Moorhead City, Newport. And you can see this hail and the wind and the rain. Uh, 65, 60 to 70 mile per, I'm sorry, 75 to 80 mile per hour wind uh, with this storm, both storms. Uh, One storm uh, created uh, damage about a mile in a path and the other uh, uh, microburst uh, created damage about a half a mile wide. So two of those, as you can see, wind and uh, wind-driven hail as well as heavy rain and very gusty damaging winds and again, this is uh, indicative of of, um, those EF0 tornadoes, Uh, so again it can do uh, a lot of damage to, uh, it looks like a a well-constructed outbuilding was actually uh, leveled from this event as well as numerous trees uprooted with these storms. So James, we're talking about a microburst and a macroburst so uh, they're kind of the same thing They're both downbursts where uh, the storm, uh, the core, can't support itself anymore, so it comes crashing to the surface. But the only difference is a microburst is two – got it written down here so I don't get it confused – two-and-a-half miles or smaller, the damage path. So that's a microburst. Think of it as a small scale. Macroburst is more than two-and-a-half miles, the damage spread. So the one in South Carolina was a macroburst because the damage path was more than two-and-a-half miles. These storms here in Jones County in North Carolina was a microburst, and the damage path was less than two and a half miles with those storms. So that's the only difference. Same thing, wind is wind, lots of damage in wind. It's just based off of the damage path. And so the microburst is a smaller path, the macroburst a little bit larger. But again, 70 to 80 mile per hour wind, and that can definitely do some damage as we've seen in the pictures and the video here, James.
0: Yeah, another video. It's the other thing that is a prereq to a severe thunderstorm warning it's either 60 mile per hour winds and or quarter size hail and, a and so, so look at all it, it looks like it's from this vantage point it looks like snow is accumulating but that was our ice pellets of of hail falling is this the same storm scotty
5: yeah this, and so imagine that hail. Well, i think it's about the quarter to maybe uh maybe a little bit larger than quarter but the winds gusting 70 miles per hour so you've got like coders flying through the sky at 70 miles per hour that can definitely do some damage to to homes and cars and trees and things like that so crazy uh, to see that hail accumulation in june where the temperatures were in the mid to upper 80s before this event happened so
0: Frank Strait, I think you had a thought here on hail, if I'm not mistaken.
4: Sure did. As a matter of fact, it's the wind and hail together, and uh, some studies uh, that i seen presented at a conference a few years back uh, indicates that when you have both, uh, as Scotty was kind of alluding to here, when when you have both the hail and the high wind at the same time, that's a situation that can cause a lot of damage. It can cause tree damage. Uh, it can cause damage to siding, especially if the hail's relatively large. If we're meeting uh, the severe criteria with both the wind and the hail uh, that you can uh, really cause a good bit of damage to, to siding to windows uh, to uh, shingles uh, to the trees to your car uh, if you have those hailstones being propelled uh, by those high winds that occur during uh, a downburst of some sort i'm sure
5: there's a lot of insurance companies that are busy right now in jones county <laughs> from all
0: Absolutely. the wind and the hail Where's Ian Jemenko watching tonight? from the, uh, uh, He,
5: he uh, just got back from their health study, a little yeah, show from right here. We're going to be recording a, a show with him really soon, so he's going to tell us all about that and some of the new stuff. Actually, James, they are talking about North Carolina has moved up and how prepared we are as a state to deal with things like this. So that's some of the huh. kind of tease, a little bit of what we're going to be talking about with Ian here in a few weeks.
0: Uh, that's, that's good news. Uh, being more prepared is always a good thing. We always tell people it never hurts to be prepared better than you don't need the stuff than wishing you, you had it. Um, Frank, before we go tonight, I think we are, we mentioned this earlier, we're watching the tropics and, uh, we'll put you a little bit on the spot, but what, you know, we, we've had the bee storm now here in June and we're into that official hurricane season.
4: Sure are. And uh, as we've been talking about a couple times already, uh, there's an area of concern down there in the Bay of Campeche. And it's starting to look uh, as though we're going to have some impacts in the Carolinas, uh, becoming increasingly concerned about that over the last couple of days. Uh, it looks as though whatever we have uh, developing uh, there in the Gulf of Mexico uh, is going to head uh, toward uh, Texas and or louisiana at first so uh, they're going to deal with the uh, with the brunt of this but uh, it also looks as though a cold front will be approaching uh, out of the north at the time and that's going to cause the the system to take a right turn after making landfall and it looks like it's going to be heading our way. That's going to present some issues. Now we've been talking about how dry it's been over parts of the Carolinas lately, and it looks as though the heaviest rain from this system probably will affect uh, upstate South Carolina and Western North Carolina. Uh, so that probably would be a good thing, even though it, uh, it still may result in some flooding problems, especially uh, in the mountains of North Carolina. Uh, that area is one that's been uh, relatively dry uh, for months now. So uh, it, it, the flooding would, will not be as bad as it, as it could have been, uh, assuming that we do end up getting a two to four inch rain situation. But uh, there's other concerns, too. Uh, it looks as though the landfall it could be uh, moving quick enough that uh, there's just not enough time for the uh, whatever winds we do uh, see to spin down. So uh, there may be some uh, of some straight line wind concern, uh, but also, especially depending upon the time of day that this comes through, there may be a, a tornado risk as well. Uh, I'm not ready to get too hyped up about that just yet, but uh, if uh, the system were to come through uh, during uh, the middle of the afternoon uh, when we are getting some uh, heating from the sun, uh, that would uh, result in a, an environment that's already favorable for some isolated tornadoes to maybe uh, be producing uh, more than just a few and uh, maybe some stronger tornadoes too. So that's something we're going to be watching pretty closely as we get closer to the event.
0: I'll put the drought monitor up on the screen updated each Thursday. You can see even despite these localized area of heavy rain that we've experienced across the Carolinas in the past week or so, we still have some form of drought in most places. Abnormally dry across a lot of North Carolina, upwards of moderate drought, and even a few pockets of severe drought, one in each of North Carolina and South Carolina. And so, as Frank mentioned, that will have an effect, too, on the, the stability of the ground. And while we might have some uh, capacity for it, if just reiterating what Frank said, if if trees or, or things are, are in a weakened state now uh that'll that'll make this all that more dicey
5: you kind of hit on what i was want to talk about you know the weakened tree state but also you got to imagine our, our the ground in, in these drought situations it's pretty hard packed so if we get a lot of heavy rain a lot of that just runs off we actually to get out of a drought you need a couple of days of that just light mist light rain to kind of really allow the ground to to soak up all the rain so if we get this heavy rain yeah some of it is going to be into the go into the ground but some of it's also going to run off so um those flood concerns as frank was talking about we'll have to watch that even though we've been in a drought some of that uh, runoff could produce some flooding here and you know that's the last thing that some places need especially where you are there in charlotte james and you guys had your own fair share of some flooding as well
0: We did. We had a flash flood warning right here in Mecklenburg County now about two weeks ago. And, you know, it was some of the typical spots that do flood, but still enough uh, that they did issue a flash flood warning for portions of southwestern Mecklenburg County, including Matthews and and Charlotte. And, you know, we have a network here that I've become pretty familiar with from uh, the county and from USGS of how they can monitor these things. They make the gauges available. They make the cameras available, some of which we share with you here in the Carolina Weather Group. But, you know, the the storms that we saw over the past week are just a reminder that um, while we're in a drought, if you get one of these thunderstorms that just pops up and then just sits. I mean, we were looking at storms that were moving maybe 10 miles an hour. It's just dumping all of that muggy summertime humidity, liquefying it and dropping it down onto you, just like Jared was talking about at the beginning of the show with what they saw in Charleston. And it's just you just once you twist that wet paper towel, it's it's all over
5: yep so hopefully we can avoid those flooding situations uh with yeah. with this but i think it's it's to say hey it's time to wake up a little bit our brain it is hurricane season so just another thing we're going to have to like uh, to keep our eye on as we
0: go throughout the next few months absolutely anybody else have any um closing thoughts before we wrap
4: things up tonight
5: I'm surprised Evan's not talking about how chilly, in my opinion, chilly it's going to
4: get tonight. Chilly. 58 in my house this morning up in Polk County. Chilly. It was nice this
3: morning. Before the show, Scotty was talking about it feeling like fall. Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say fall, but it is It is. Listen, cool.
4: low
0: 50s in June is chilly to me. <laughs> what, what I was slept the old, with the windows open. What was the yeah, low we'll Grandfather this morning?
3: Uh, 49 on Grandfather. 50, or sorry, 44. 4.4 on Mount Mitchell. Um,
5: Jared and Charleston's like, what are y'all talking about? It's
1: <laughs> look, look, if I get a dew point below 68 in in June, which is looks like with is a possibility over the next couple of days, I'm a happy guy.
0: <laughs> I mean, Jared, we like having you down there, man, but you want to come inland a bit.
1: I, I, I like to sweat. It's
0: fun. You got friends up here. That's all I'm saying.
5: I know uh, if I need to get away, I, I, I know who to call. <laughs> uh, Evan may, may know a little bit, but I think our some dew points uh, in Western North Carolina, and I could get
4: into the 40s. So, I mean, it's yeah, it's a very dry dry yeah, setup. But I paddles. think it probably be cooler tomorrow morning than it was this morning. By, by the way, Mount LaConte, Tennessee, 42 this morning. Oh, wow,
3: I didn't check that one. Nice. Good, good mm-hmm. find, Frank. Right? The uh, Mitchell is sitting at a 46-degree dew point right now, so they're going to push for the mid-40s, low-40s again tonight.
0: Yep. Counting on them. Well, guys, I appreciate you guys uh, joining us uh, for this live episode of the Carolina Weather Group Uh, to our panel. Thank you. I know some of you are... are, doing a double header tonight you you had a pre-tape before this so uh busy night for you all and of course to all you at home uh, and thank you for joining tonight's conversation as always you can uh, like and subscribe us uh, to us on youtube where you can check out the non-stop carolina WeatherNet stream for free access to all things carolina weather Any time of day, you can watch us on your Roku TV using the YouTube app or whatever you're most comfortable with. Or if podcast is more of your thing, you can find us wherever it is you choose to listen to podcasts. And um, uh, guys, homework assignments. Uh, You know that thing that we talked about for the podcast with mm, them. Yes. (laughs) Assignments are coming due. And to you at home. That's what I call a lousy tease. So uh, for all of us, I'm James Briarton. Thanks so much for joining us uh, this week here on the Carolina Weather Group. We will see you back uh, next Wednesday or sooner if the weather warrants. Uh, But for now, have a good night.